Namo tasa bhagavato alahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato alahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato alahato samma sambuddhasa Buddhang dhammang sankhang namasami Uh, this evening, for a long time, I plan to uh, devote this talk to the, the Four Noble Truths. Uh, towards the end of any retreat, whether it's the three-month rainy season or whether it's the shorter retreats, uh, it's worth a while to bring a meditator's attention to the core teaching of the Lord Buddha, hoping that bringing the attention to this uh, marvellous and profound teaching uh, might be sufficient to take the meditator just that one step uh, into full awareness, to full knowledge, full realisation of the Dhamma of the Buddhas <coughs> and thereby seeing what the Lord Buddha saw under the Bodhi tree and seeing that which will uh, defeat defilements, which will qualify you as one who's entered the stream who make the transition to the Arya Pugara. <coughs> All through seeing this uh, very profound and powerful teaching of the Four Noble Truths. Obviously it's important first of all to, to know those Four Noble Truths theoretically. And each one of you here has that theoretical knowledge. So I'm going to try and build upon that and deepen it in this talk this evening. It just uh, brought to mind as I was about to uh, give this talk <coughs> that Ajahn Chah, you would, uh, there's a picture of him, quite a well-known picture of him in uh, the first Vihara in England with his arms raised and he was imitating a statue which is in another monastery uh, which says that joy at last to know there's no happiness in the world. And I'm going to start from there because so often in our <coughs> practice, in our lives. We are seeking for that happiness in the world. We seek and seek in so many different areas and so many different ways. We seek out there in the world and then we seek for happiness even in the, the world of the monastery. Again, seeking in the wrong place. And it becomes a, a beautiful realisation that the fact that one doesn't find that happiness it doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. It doesn't mean that one is incompetent, hopeless, because eventually one finds out that there's no way you can find that happiness there where you're looking. In that place where you've been looking, where you've been searching, where you've been living, where you've been hanging out, the mind realizes there can only be dukkha, suffering. <coughs> and many of you during this range retreat have experienced some of that suffering. The wise person, instead of just uh, being overburdened by that suffering and uh, wallowing in it, the wise person is contemplates what the Lord Buddha said about suffering, Four Noble Truths. So that's the whole uh, explanation, description, understanding of this whole process of suffering. And sometimes that suffering can be raw, it can be just go so deep to the very bones, deeper than the bones, right to you know, the, the source of what you think you are. And it goes so deep and can cause so much problems and difficulties. And it's wonderful to find out that this is par for the course. There's nothing wrong with this. This is the nature of the world. What do you expect? Sometimes we grow up with false expectations that somehow if we're clever enough, if we're smart enough, if we keep all the rules and do all the right things, that somehow we can have a happy life. And sometimes we think that everyone else is happy but not me. Very often people think everyone else, I bet everyone else in this monastery has experienced jhana in this retreat but not me. But everyone else is getting enlightened but not me. So actually to understand <coughs> that this is nothing to do with you. And that as we practice in this monastery, these are things which each one of us has to deal with. 
as the Lord Buddha's, as not that Lord Buddha Ajahn Chah says, when you first come to a monastery, when you first start to practice in the, in the true way, you can expect suffering. You're going against the stream. You can expect to feel the pressure of the defilements, just way, the same way when you go against the wind. You can feel its force against your body. And this is a sign that you are getting somewhere. And you find that when suffering arises, that you have two options. You can either try and escape from that suffering, or you can investigate it. There was, uh, when I went to go and uh, visit uh, Tanajar Mahabur, he would only give a talk when there was an occasion and I'm pretty sure that the occasion when I went to visit and stay with him, on that particular occasion, he gave this talk especially for me. And in particular, after the talk was finished, he asked one of the senior uh, Western monks there to translate for me. He said, you know, can you translate for the visiting Western monk, me? Uh, fortunately, the, I could already understand the Thai, and I understood exactly what Ajahn Mahabur was saying. And the story which he gave uh, which I always took for my own benefit, was uh, very instructive for my whole monastic life. Because he was talking about himself when he was a young monk in the time of Ajahn Man. He was saying that once he had malaria, and instead of just laying in the bed, in typical Ajahn Mahabur style, he decided to fight it, to battle it, to conquer it with, it, with his will. And he got out of his... his hut off the floor <coughs> and I think they were sweeping at the time and he got a broom and started to sweep even though he was sweating and shaking. When Ajahn Man saw him, he just told him off. And he gave this talk, he said that there are some people in this monastery who are just born boxers and they haven't changed. And Ajahn Mahabur was a lay person, he was a boxer. He said that's not the way of Buddhism. That the way of Buddhism, he said actually that's the way of Hindus, to fight. So the way of Buddhism is to investigate, not to try and fight the suffering, because if you do, you'll find you just get deeper and deeper and deeper. But to understand, use wisdom power rather than willpower, in the way I, I put it. That wisdom power is always much more effective because it's coming from a good place. Willpower, in nearly all cases, comes from ego, from self. You cannot expect that it to produce good results if it's coming from such an unfortunate source. To use wisdom power means remembering the teachings and looking at your experience in the framework of those teachings, in the framework of the Four Noble Truths. The Lord Buddha taught that birth is suffering, old age, sickness and death is suffering, and all that goes in between is suffering. In brief, life is suffering. And so when suffering comes, disappointment, frustration, whether it's loneliness, depression, whether it's uh, not wondering what you're supposed to be doing, you're seeing here a basic truth of nature which every human being, whether in a monastery or outside, must come across from time to time in their life. Times when you just don't know where to go because the suffering is so bad. Because you cannot, as Ajahn Chah used to say, he said, you cannot go forward, you cannot go back, you cannot stand still. You just don't know what to do. This is the beautiful time. Because it's a time when you can really understand what the Lord Buddha was talking about, about the suffering of life. One of the things to always understand when that suffering happens is to investigate. Investigate means just to watch, to observe. But the best observations, the best watchers in science, you have to watch without interfering without getting involved. Because if you get involved, you're not really watching objectively. You're not really seeing. 
it takes that courage and strength but sometimes there's no other choice you have to have that courage and strength to just stand one's ground and just watch one of the things one will always see is that suffering dukkha passes and it passes into sukha, into happiness and so often people make the mistake okay, now it's okay to watch and notice that sukha, that happiness will pass again into suffering sometimes even worse than you've experienced before this is the play of samsara the play of night and day the play of, of warmth and cold it is the basic duality of experience and there's no escape from that whether in this realm or in a different realm that this would always follow you around the duality of experience of Vedana and all Buddha said that getting what you want sorry, getting what you don't want is suffering not getting what you want, being separated from what you desire is suffering that's just superficial suffering the deeper suffering is just right with existence itself sometimes I often ask myself just what do I want? I use that as a, as a mantra as I walk on my meditation path or as I sit if my mind is restless what do I want? And I've been in this world long enough now for 48 years and I have experienced much of this world I was not born in the monastery and all that I've experienced and seen all that I know knows that there is not a corner of this world where I can find that sort of happiness that by the very nature of sensory experience it's going to be disappointing and I know that when I ask for something which the world can never give me when I crave for something which I cannot reach I know that I am just torturing myself more than necessary so instead of just craving for something else I learn to be content with what I have when you're talking about contentment we're talking about the third noble truth the third noble truth is letting go of craving which means contentment it's letting go of wanting something else and learning to be at peace with what you have and this is where it was a struggle and it always is a struggle how can you be at peace? how can you be content when everything is going wrong? how can you be at peace and content when the body is on fire with pain? how can you become peace and content when the mind is going crazy with so many thoughts it's just there you can find that contentment you're just letting go letting go is letting go of this controller that is why so often the problem with people I gave this simile to some ties last week it's like a person looking in a mirror I gave this to the Thai ladies because they're very vain you've all seen the way they dress up when they come to this monastery and I told them it's just like you see in a mirror and you see this ugly woman in front of you and instead of actually doing something with your face you put all the makeup on the mirror you try and make the mirror look good and of course you're completely wasting your time the mirror might look good for a while with all the makeup on the mirror but when you walk somewhere else and you see another mirror you see you're back to square one again putting that makeup on the mirror trying to solve the outside is what we're talking about by craving but by trying to solve the inside through contentment through peace through learning to live with the predicament you're in rather than trying so hard to make it different to make it otherwise for the last 16 years I've worked hard extremely hard as many of you would know trying to build up this monastery it's a complete waste of time trying to make a perfect monastery even trying to make an adequately good monastery 
it's never good enough. This is the nature of the world. It's never quite good enough. The way that craving works, the second noble truth, is to delude you. To think if you just try and do a little bit more, if you just strive, work harder just one more day, and everything will be okay. I'll just work another year and I can pay off my mortgage. I can just sit for just one more retreat and that's all I need and I'll get my jhanas. I'll just try and just one next course of medicine and then I'll be healthy again. You might put off sickness for a while, but you'll never escape it because that's the nature of this body. You might put off suffering for a while, but you never escape it in that way. You're only just putting it off. Because the nature of a human being is to get suffering and happiness in roughly equal proportions. If you're suffering now, it's because of some happiness which you had before, which you've lost. But you always know when that suffering disappears, that becomes happiness. Happiness is no more than the end of suffering. Suffering is no more than the end of happiness. And we go around in this cycle throughout our lives. That's why the Lord Buddha said in that first noble truth, the five candors which make up this human being, he says, is suffering. By its very nature it's suffering. So if anyone comes during the interview and they say they're having a terrible time, so often I want to say, of course, what's wrong? As Ajahn Sumaita used, no, sorry, Ajahn Chah used to say, it's like someone who goes into the army, becomes a soldier, and they complain about being shot at and being wounded. What do you expect when you join the army? That's what happens. What do you expect when you become a human being? This is suffering. Sometimes in the world that people run away from that suffering, they hide it. You go and ask them how they are, oh, I'm doing fine today. Even though they're going through divorces, they're having therapy, they're having chemotherapy for their cancers and they're sick, but they keep on saying oh, I'm fine because that's what we're supposed to stay in this world. That's what's expected of us. If only people were honest. You ask people how they were, I'm saying, blooming awful today. I've got a headache, I've got a stomachache, family have caused me all sorts of trouble. I feel rotten. If most people were honest, that's what they would say. If they really knew what was going on, that's what they would say. And there's nothing wrong with recognizing the suffering of existence. It's being honest and having the courage to face up to the truth. How many people do you know are happy? Really happy, really content. Not people who say they're happy, but who are happy. The only people I've ever seen in my 48 years of life who are happy are being those arahats which I've had the great fortune to meet. Other than that, nobody. When when you understand this, you're understanding the first noble truth that this very nature of life is suffering. And you understand that in the very deepest of senses. We have this sensory world of the five senses. And when you analyze it in the way the Lord Buddha asked of you, you use wisdom to see, well, what is this world anyway? This world is made up of sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, and mind. When you analyze it in that way, you can see that what we see, what we hear, smell, taste, and touch, by its very nature, is part of that duality of happiness and suffering. Even the food we get here, which is so wonderful, after a while it's not good enough. If you had rotten food here, like I had in my first year, after a while you get to like it. It's just contrast, that's all. The happiness and suffering of the senses. 
is just contrast. I've known people who've gone to great restaurants and because the food just hasn't been quite up to the standard it was last week, they complain and they get upset, spoil the whole evening. Whereas other people will be just glad to eat something because they haven't had a meal for days. The same food. Why is it that some people find it joyful and some people find it full of suffering? Just contrast, that's all. When you understand this, whatever happinesses there are in the world, whether it's sexual happiness, the whole happiness of that is just the excitement of wanting it beforehand. And it's the emptiness when that happiness has been reached and it's no longer there. You just want to repeat it. <coughs> that hunger, that thirst, is a separation from what is it's joyful and what you take to be happiness, what you take to be joyful, it's craving. That craving, that thirst, that stretching out to try and reach something which is always beyond your grasp, that by itself is suffering. Just wanting, just the whole problem of trying to achieve what you want. The manipulating, the thinking, the planning. How much time have you wasted, even in this range retreat, planning, manipulating, thinking of how you can get what you want? And how much more freedom would you have if you had no wants at all? You didn't need to think. You didn't need to plan. You didn't need to manipulate and think, how can I uh, twist Ajahn Brahm's arm to you know, let me do this or, or allow me to do that? When all of that manipulation, all that uh, craving is abandoned, can you understand the peace, the contentment which will come there? So often when there's great pain in the body or when there's great disturbance in the mind, sometimes a meditator can just say stop. Can just let go just like that in a moment and stop fighting, stop craving, stop trying to control. You're going to be mad? What's wrong with being mad? You let go of the controller. When you let go of the controller, when you stop that craving to be something different, a strange thing happens, the madness stops. The pain disappears. I've had that happen to me with great pain once. The great suffering. I didn't know what to do. Every monk has to come across this sooner or later. In the case they, they want to leave, but they can't leave. It's a case of, again, you want to go forward, but you can't go forward. You want to go back, you can't go back. You want to stay still, you can't stay still. You don't know what to do. Can't go forward, can't go back, can't stay where you are. And this is where you let go. When you do let go, you find out that half of that suffering was fighting. The Lord Buddha said there's two darts, two arrows, two thorns which cause suffering in a human being. First thorn is the, the thorn of the five senses, physical suffering. And the second thorn is a mental thorn. There's a thorn of just having sickness, having pain, of being upset by what you see, by what you hear, by what you taste, smell, touch. But there's also the mental pain, the proliferation which goes around that, the thinking. And that's which is very important to notice. The physical pains, the seeing what you don't want to see, hearing what you don't want to hear, doing what you don't want to do, you can't really do much about that. I know when I was a young monk I thought if ever I became an abbot that'd be fine, I could always just do what I wanted to do. I could give the orders. So I could only do the orders of what I want. You find out the more authority you have, just the more of a prison you're in. You can't do what you want to do. You've got responsibility. You're even more 
controlled as it were by the situation so in the end you sort of give up trying to change, trying to control, trying to crave to make things somehow different you let go and just be with and you find out that just if you can let go of pain and just allow it to be the whole situation changes the time when I first did this as a monk in Thailand with a toothache as soon as I let go the pain disappeared remarkable event in my monastic life to see intense pain suddenly go just through a wisdom power Ajahn Chah, the other great monks, the Lord Buddha always talked about the third noble truth as a way to end suffering it is to let go of that craving it's kept on saying again and again and again but the theory is never as powerful as the practice it can make sense and inspire you but if you actually do it you actually have a problem, if you have suffering, great suffering, great pain and you apply the Buddha's teachings, okay I'm going to let go of craving I'm going to allow this state of mind, this state of body to be let go and you find if you really let go the whole problem just caves in it disappears, it fades you've got this beautiful moment of insight not insight based on thinking and theory but insight based on an experience for a moment you've let go of suffering because you haven't fought this is why the second and third noble truths are not something to be just uh, thought about and have uh, write about and, and uh, theorise about but it's to be practised especially the third noble truth about letting go is why in this monastery you know that just how I've been teaching especially with meditation to let go of the controller especially in the deep parts of meditation where we always get involved in trying to make the breath quiet or to make some limiter sort of appear in the mind and move it this way and move it that way what are we doing that for? what's doing it? and as we look deeper and deeper into the problem we might have a little bit of wisdom and a little bit of courage to let go and every meditator who's ever come to me and said they've got into a deep meditation it's always because they've let go of something that controller, that doer the reason why you can only teach the Four Noble Truths once a person has done a lot of meditation is because that, that noble truth of suffering and its cause and the end of suffering can only truly be seen through practice through letting go of suffering when we're doing a meditation this is what we're doing, we're letting go of the world we're letting go of one arrow, one thorn the physical thorn of suffering for a short while we're just going into the world of the mind the old Buddha kept on saying that the five candors are suffering I know some monks continue to say they said it's just attachment to the five candors is suffering not the suffering candors themselves you just chanted the Anattalakana Sutta very beautiful sutta which does say quite clearly it's not just attachment to the candors is suffering its form itself is suffering the body is suffering Vedana is suffering Sanya, Sankara, Vinyana, consciousness is suffering and if a person sees this they will get Nibbida to these candors and Nibbida means you just see that they're just a bunch of suffering just to see that much, to really see it means you get fed up you get disinterested you re get repulsed from these whole five candors not just from one of them but from the whole five 
especially repulsed from the mental candors. The mental candors of Vedana. Why do we always want to go out into the world and get more Vedana, more sensations, more experience? Let's go and see a movie and get more experience. Let's go and get a wife, get a husband, have more experience. Let's have children. You haven't lived as a woman till you've had kids, so people say. That's stupid. That's just getting more Vedana to worry about, to be concerned about, to torture yourself with. The whole point of the practice of Buddhism, the fourth noble truth, is to try and let go of Vedana, try and abandon Sanya, trying to calm Sankara, and trying to eliminate Vijnana, consciousness. Bring it to an end. Sometimes I get into trouble when I say that consciousness is suffering. Consciousness, this green on which all of this world is played out. I use the metaphor of a screen like a television. It's the most useful metaphor which I have. You see that this is not one television with six different programs on it. There's uh, sight, sound, smell, taste, touch and mental phenomena. It's six completely different types of televisions. There's only one program on each. And this is where you actually see what consciousness truly is. When there's consciousness, there will be suffering. Vinyana Pachaya Dukkha. That's in the Sutta Nipata. If a person knows this, they know the Adinawa, the danger in consciousness, then they will get the Nibhida towards consciousness. You know that this world, this life, however you you arrange it, will always end up in some sort of suffering. You get your share of happiness and then suffering and happiness and suffering in whatever realm. Even if you get into jhanas and you get the bliss of deep meditation, it doesn't last. You've got to come out again afterwards. You have a beautiful two-week retreat you come out and you find out people are going up the wall and you've got to work again. No matter how high you get on your retreat, you've got to come out, you've got to come down. That's what Ajanyana said, the real world. <laughs> That's suffering. I got caught in that this time. And this is just the nature of life. So what we actually see when we use wisdom power is wherever you go in this world, no matter whatever you do, all you have is suffering. This is from, I think it's from the Visuddhi Magga, Ajahn Chah used to say about the mangy dog. Mangy dog, which is, which is itches, it's got mange, and so it goes out into the sun to try and get rid of the mange, it doesn't go away, it goes into the rain, doesn't go away, it goes under a rock in the forest, in the village, wherever it goes, it tries to get rid of the mange. Of course, it always takes the mange with it. It doesn't matter where you go in this world or into other worlds. That suffering which you experience now will go with you. There will be no escape in that way. Because this is inherent to human existence, even to the existence of the devas. You get jhanas, you don't get jhanas, there is still suffering. And after a while, as a, as a monk who experiences and looks at all the different aspects and all the different types of happiness to be found in the world, sex, drugs, rock and roll, but more than that, meditative happinesses, to see each one of them, wherever they are, by their very nature, are impermanent and therefore conducive to suffering. And after a while you realise that what this Buddha said, the great Lord Buddha, that form is suffering, Vedana is suffering, Sanya perception, Sankara, Vinyana is suffering, 
the whole, the whole caboodle is suffering. When you truly see that there is suffering, and wherever you go, that suffering will be with you, then you get nibida towards this thing we call existence, bhava. You find that whether it's in the deva realms or the hell realms or the human realms, it's like the dog going to different places. It's just that some realms hurt more than others, but all realms hurt. Even when the jhana realms, when that falls apart, there comes the hurt, the pain. The higher happiness you have, the more suffering when that happiness disappears. Like people in the world, the more they love somebody, the more they suffer when that person dies. The more you love your existence in the great jhana realms and the Brahma Loka, the more suffering when that existence collapses and disappears. This is the nature of suffering. After a while we realize that the whole purpose of the Buddha's teaching is to end suffering through the ending of birth, not to get reborn again, to find the cause for rebirth and to eliminate it. This particular life now, we're stuck with it. We try and end it prematurely, we just get another life. Got to go through the whole thing all over again. That's not the way you end life through suicide. You end life through cutting off craving. Cutting off the cause. We find, as I was talking about the the nature of the dependent origination, how rebirth occurs. And what is this process which makes us go into another life in the future? And you're already making that process now. From the illusion of a self, the illusion of happiness somewhere in the world, that we crave. We crave based on a lie that somewhere, someplace, there can be happiness, there can be fulfillment, there can be what we really want, what we always were looking for in the world, it's over there somewhere. And from that reason we crave. If you knew that there was no happiness to be found in the world, no place, nowhere, why would you crave? The whole source of craving will be taken away. This is if one sees the Sabbe Sankara Dukkha, to quote the Lord Buddha, that all formations, all things are suffering. You could actually see that and understand that and accept it fully. That enough should be the end of craving. Why would you need to crave for what is Dukkha? You only crave for what you assume to be Sukha, to be happiness. And this happiness has been burning you for lifetime after lifetime after lifetime. When I always ask myself, what do I want? I always get the answer, what I really want, what I'm asking for is more dukkha. Stupid monk, shut up. And this is the way you can end wanting, to see that what you're really looking for and searching for is just more dukkha, and what a stupid thing that is to do. If you can actually see that the awija, the illusion, is that you think it's going to be happiness. If you see with, with clear understanding that what you're really wanting is more suffering. You want to go and get a woman, that's just incredible suffering, stupid. You just you want to go somewhere else in the world, that's just more suffering. What do you want in the world anyway? What do you really want? So often, what you are asking for is just suffering. Let go. When you've been meditating, you find that the most happy times, the times when you become closest to real happiness, is when you've been content. You haven't sort of got very much in this monastery, but you're happy with what you have. You're happy in this moment. 
I found in my monastic life that you can be happy with such a small amount. In fact, the less you have, the happier you can be. And that's why the path of renunciation and letting go is overcoming craving. And it's a path of the third noble truth. Renunciation leads to peace. That's why that I've used that in my monastic life. Every time there's some suffering there, I can renounce. What are you hanging on to? Give up something. Let go of something. Be content. As soon as you're content, the problem is solved. I'm the abbot. Everyone's going crazy. Clay trucks are going to go past the monastery. Uh, there's no more money left. We're going to get sued for defamation. The whole monastery is going to sort of blow up. Whatever happens, everyone's going to leave and I'm going to do every Friday night talk for the next ten years. That's okay. I can be content with that. There's a worrying about it is a problem. And so the contentment is where you can just say, well, let's just don't think about it. Be at peace with whatever happens. Learning how to be at peace with whatever happens. Maybe the the mob has been already uh, hired by Metro Brick and they're going to come and beat me up tonight. Okay, I can handle that. So whatever it is which happens to you, if you know contentment, then you are know the path of freedom from suffering. This is the third noble truth. Don't just think about that, practice that. Let go of craving. If ever there is a problem in your meditation, in your monastic life, in your life, somewhere else, instead of like trying other solutions to overcome suffering, how about trying the third noble truth solution? To let go of something, let go of craving. You're craving for something there, that's causing the suffering. Abandon that. Find out what you want, what you really want. That's what's causing the suffering. Give it up. I want to be healthy. Give it up. Just be content being sick. Okay, I'm sick. I'm going to see how sick I can be. And that sort of really sort of uh, gets Mara worried when you do things like that. That's why I said, no, come on, don't be stupid, you get even more sick, it's going to hurt even more. See how sick you can be. This is that sort of contentment going in the opposite direction of craving. This is what releases the fire of suffering. And also it releases that sort of craving, which is always building up hopes for the future. <coughs> so I was just talking with the Anagarika some time ago about that whole process of rebirth from craving and making karma, the sankhara. These two together, because we crave, we make karma. We make the karma by body, speech and mind, which creates this, this mind taking up these themes, these ideas. This is the fuel, the upadana. I prefer the word fuel than attachment. Attachment just doesn't really suit the dependent origination. This is fuel for more rebirth. And we actually literally through uh, illusion, and that's awija, with craving, these two major enemies, was it like uh, blinded by illusion, fettered by craving, we actually take up and create our house for the future. So that creating that house for the future is bawa. Bawa is states of existence. Just like when we're building kutis here, we have to build a kuti before someone can move into it. In the same way that we build our next existence in this life. Through awija, illusion, and craving, making karma, the sankhara, creating bhava, creating this house for the future. 
That's why that uh, you've heard that this is straight out of the text that people who make great merits, the vimanas are already waiting for you in the heaven realms. So vimanas are the celestial palaces where people will be reborn. For those who are creating bad karma, the pots of boiling liquid are already being heated up for you, waiting for you to fall down there. That's like I remember in the story of Nanda. You're already creating your house for the future. If you really are a homeless one, an anagarika, then you should not just have sold your existing house in this world, but make sure you're not making any future houses for your fantasies, for your dreams, for your hopes, for some sort of happiness sometime in the future. But if you do, with those dreams and fantasies, those hopes, you're creating the conditions. You're actually building the very house, building the state of existence where you'll find rebirth. Don't underestimate the power of the mind to create realms of existence. The mind is a forerunner and the chief. The mind is the main thing. The world exists in the mind. That's why the mind can create whole worlds, whole universes, whole states of existence through awija and craving. And then you get rebirth and you have to go through this all over again. Lord Buddha kept on saying that you've cried more tears because you've been fed up, because you've been depressed, because you've gone crazy, because this thing has happened to you or that thing has happened to you, you've cried more tears in all of your existences than there is water in all of the oceans of the world. That's a lot of tears. It's a lot of crying you've done. When are you going to stop filling up the oceans? When are your bones going to stop filling up the graveyards? Only until, or only up until we see the Four Noble Truths. He said, once you've seen those Four Noble Truths, seen the inherent suffering of life, then you will get this Nibida coming up, this beautiful, beautiful, wonderful Nibida, which does not seek for escape outside, but seeks for escape inside. Doesn't, not the dog trying to go somewhere else to get rid of the mange. Not a dog trying to kill itself, trying to get rid of the mange, but trying to be content with the mange, learning how to live with rather than living against. You find when you get there to be content with the mange, the mange disappears. It's gone. Through that craving, you know suffering. From that suffering, you get Nibida. From Nibida comes Viraga. Viraga is the fading away of everything. Things disappearing, going, ending. This is wonderful when you start to see things disappear. The whole world fading away and vanishing into emptiness. It's marvellous to know things vanishing. I remember just recall now as a young man when I was travelling in south of Mexico in a town called Oaxaca. It was the centre of the mushroom culture but I wasn't into mushrooms, I was already a Buddhist by that time. But I remember having like a nimitta in a room and seeing like the walls and the ceiling just become like butter and just melt and disappear and just nothingness. It was quite scary at the time. And just a sign that you're getting to understand what perception was all about and allowing things to just disappear and fade and go empty. All of this, which you take to be real, is an illusion. That's why the Lord Buddha said this body of ours is just like th- froth on the river Ganges. You poke it and there's nothing really there. It's not me, it's not mine, it's not a self, 
just a body, just blood and bones, made up of food. You look at Vedana, it's just a plop, like a raindrop hitting a puddle, doing the, my retreat, and just doing one of the rainstorms when I came to the end of my walking meditation path, which was under my veranda. It just, it was heavy rain and there was a little puddle there and there was froth on one side and little bubbles coming from the, the drips from the gutter. And it's all brought to mind. This, this froth is just like my body. And this little bubble caused by the, the drop of water hitting the puddle. That's all Vedana is. Happy Vedana, unhappy Vedana, in between, plop and it's gone. Another one and another one and another one and another one. Completely uncertain beyond my control. I know that sometimes I will feel unhappy, sometimes I will feel happy. And there's nothing I can do about it in this life. It's a nature. Joy at last, so no, there's no happiness in the world. That means there's nothing wrong with me. Joy at last, no, there's no happiness in this world. But when you actually understand that you can let go of this building more worlds up. And you understand through meditation as you make the world more and more simple. And how more simple can you make it than getting into a deep meditation where there's hardly anything left. Sometimes you get to the point there's just breath left. That's the only thing left in the whole world and that's pretty neat. Sometimes you can let go of the breath and just got a nimitta left, just a beautiful light in the mind and it's not going anywhere, it's just completely stable. That's beautiful, that's probably the best bliss you'd have experienced. You go deeper and just go into a jhana, just one experience in the mind, just unchanging, completely satisfying the mind, that's blissful. It's great to be able to reflect on these. First jhana is so much less than what you had before. You've given up so much. There's hardly anything of existence left, just this small little blip called first jhana. You get into second jhana, there's only half a blip left. You're hardly, hardly there. You hardly say you exist. You're not doing anything, you're just like a rock, stable still. Nothing much going on. You've given up so much, just this last little vestige of consciousness. Just resting, not really being, not not being, halfway in between, because it's not doing anything, just there. You find that's the most blissful experience. And then you get into the third journey, giving up even more. You really get into this giving up business. You really get off on it. You really get off on naikama, renunciation. You can't wait to give up more. How much more can I give up? you realize that this is the path to liberation from suffering? Letting go. You understand why? Because deep down there's no one in here. That's why you can let go. When there's no owner, when there's no owner then your possessions are free for anyone to take. When there's no owner, Nature can take your happiness and give you suffering. You know it's going to take your suffering and give you happiness later on. These things don't belong to me. All of your joys and depressions, your wisdom and your craziness, doesn't belong to anybody, it's just nature, just it's all it is. So you can let it go, you can learn to live with it, and just you know it's going to change. Every time I get down, I know I'm going to get up again soon. Every time I get up, I know I'm going to get down again soon. It's the nature of me. It's the nature of you as well. And that's why you can smile when you're down, because you know it's not going to last. That's why you can be peaceful when you're up, because you know it's not going to last. So this learns how to deal with suffering, and how to learn how to let go of things. Understanding the more you give up, the more happiness you have. It takes time though, you've got to give yourself time to be able to do these things. To be patient, it's a natural process. You already, each one of you have got enough of a start. 
You've experienced enough suffering already in this world. But don't go looking for happiness in the wrong places. Otherwise you just find more suffering. Don't be like the mangy dog. Just sit down. Stay in one place. And just watch the mange just disappear all by itself. Without you doing anything. It's a great thing when you go through very great difficulties as a monk, as a nun, as an anagarika, just to stay still, not move. You know what the Lord Buddha did in the Bayabhera Sutta? When he was afraid, he would not change his position. If he was walking when fear came, he would carry on walking until the fear left. Then he would change his position. If he was sitting, he wouldn't get up. He would just stay there until the fear left. If he was lying or, or standing, the same. It's the same when we get any suffering in our life. Don't change your position. And what I'm talking about here is don't do anything different, just carry on. And I guarantee whatever suffering you experience will disappear. And then you'll find that suffering has got nothing to do with what you do, with a monastery, with your body, with your health, with your age, with whatever. It's just suffering, that's just what it does. It just comes and goes all by itself. Wherever you are, whatever you do, it's the nature of suffering. It just comes when it wants to. Uninvited, it comes. And without permission, it goes. It will go when it wants to go. Not when you want it to go. In fact, the more you want it to go, the longer it will stay. It's perverse like that. And actually, if you allow it to stay and you invite it in, it can't stand you and it goes away straight away. It's the nature of suffering. But in particular, to show, to know deeply that the five candors by themselves, even consciousness itself, is suffering. The less you are conscious of, the more peaceful you are. And if you can somehow hold that consciousness until it's just consciousness of one thing, unchanging, and just one sense base, the mind, in jhanas is the highest happiness you can experience until you just let go completely and get into what's called Niroda Samapati, where there's no consciousness at all. The five candles just stop for a while. And so five candles have stopped. You come out afterwards. You have to know, there's no other way that consciousness is suffering. Sankaras, mental formations, is suffering. Sanya perception is suffering. Vedana is suffering. Body is suffering. Birth is suffering. Life is suffering. So when you suffer, here we go, the Buddha was right. The more you can let go, the less suffering you have. The Buddha was right again. If you can let go completely, you know that the cause of future suffering in any future life is overcome. In that Anattalakana Sutta, the Lord Buddha was saying, that from Nibbida comes Viraga. When you get fed up with these five candors, they start to fade. And from Viraga comes Niroda, cessation, Vimuti, freedom. And you know that from that freedom, you're not building any more houses. You're completely abandoning. You know that birth is destroyed. you just got this life just to live with. You're just like the workmen waiting for their wages. You've done your work and you know that there's no more existence in the future for you. That in itself is great happiness. To know that whatever suffering you have to experience between now and Parinibbana is just that much. And that's the last of the suffering which you have to experience in samsara. If you haven't got that, if you haven't even got stream winner, 
it means that the suffering ahead of you in samsara is endless. Life after life, going through the same all things. So don't blame anyone else for suffering. Don't blame yourself. It's the very nature of existence. Four noble truths. Just apply that third noble truth, letting go. Follow the fourth noble truth of the practice. Sila, Samadhi, Panya. Keep precepts. You lessen suffering. Develop Samadhi, gentleness, persistence, stability of mind. You lessen suffering. You develop wisdom, Panya, and you end suffering. So, that's the best I can do for this evening on the Four Noble Truths. So, I hope that was of use to you. Has anyone got any question about what I've just been talking about? Okay.